0: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.
1: War College is now an independent production not associated with Reuters News.
2: So now there's loose nukes about. He has one. And I think that people might draw from that what happens now that the United States, or Daenerys, no longer has a monopoly on this type of firepower.
0: You're listening to War College, a weekly podcast that brings you the stories from behind the front lines. Here are your hosts, Matthew Galt and Jason Fields.
1: Hello, welcome to War College. I'm Matthew Galt.
0: I'm Jason Fields.
1: After the Cold War, the pop pop culture took a break from the nuclear menace. Dr. Strangelove had taught us how to love the bomb, Superman had saved us from ourselves, and the day after chilled us to our core. But through most of the 90s and even the 2000s, pop culture largely avoided nuclear metaphors. That might be changing. North Korean advances have brought back fears of global thermonuclear war. Joining us on the show today is Timothy Westmeyer. Timothy is the Associate Program Manager of Nuclear Security at CRDF Global. He's also the host of the Super Critical podcast, which overthinks this stuff every week. We're glad to have him here. Thank you for joining us.
2: Well, I'm great to be here. Um, I'm glad we're able to set this up, and um, I'm glad to have any excuse to talk about uh, the latest season of Game of Thrones, especially when you can get into this type of detail uh, I don't have a lot of these conversations uh with my usual set of friends. Um uh, not a lot my non-nuke friends. This is great. Uh well
1: well let's let's jump into it. You you wrote something was it back in 2014? Correct. At the the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists, which are the people that control the doomsday clock for for the listeners that don't know. Uh comparing
0: Well hold on. I'm not I'm not sure that's entirely fair. I don't think they control it.
1: They Well okay, I I actually did a story on this recently. They gather every year to vote on how to move the how to move the hand, <laughs> right? It'd be fun if they can turn it the other way and then have reality reflect that. Uh, you'd written something for them about how Daenerys's dragons in Game of Thrones are, n- you know, nuclear powers. Mm-hmm. And why don't you? I, I disagree, but why don't you jump in with this and, and explain it to us?
2: Sure. Uh, so just to to start it off, um, I'm not a crazy person. I know. Just watch uh, everything I see and look for nuke uh imagery and, and analogs but i i was enjo- i was enjoying uh, game of thrones as both you know the tv show as well as the books and i had seen a lot of uh people people that were highly respected that would do think pieces on game of thrones and how it uh, applies theories of international relations or how it deals with issues of feminism or race or poverty and i thought well that that's true it, it's a very detailed story and it draws on a lot of uh real world analogies and 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 I also heard someone in passing every once in a while someone say, dragons are like flying nuclear weapons or uh, scaled nuclear re- nuclear reptiles. And I thought, well, that's really interesting. Has anyone done a think piece just looking at that for way too many words? And I hadn't seen anyone do that, so I definitely wanted to, to take that um, – to take that mantle up because I'd done a little bit of research and, and even George R. R. Martin came out and said, you know, quote, the dragons are the nuclear deterrent, that Danny's the only one that has them. He's the most powerful person in the world. But, and it's not just that. And I started to see a little bit more of how ideas of if you have this type of power, if you have this type of, of weapon that you can use, what does it get you? Does it get you the ability to destroy cities? It does. Does it get you the ability to rule the way you want to? Uh, Over the long run, it does not. And I I saw a lot of uh, parallels there uh, for real world history as well as what the show and and, and the the books and how they describe these types of things. I I think the latest episode that we saw, uh, I don't know how spoilers are going to work here, but I'll just say at the end of the episode during the behind the scenes stuff, uh, one of the showrunners, D.B. Weiss, said, looks like Danny's got WMD. So I think uh, I think there's some arguments to be made there, but I also enjoyed your article about about how it uh, maybe it's not nukes, maybe they're A10s. So I'm wearing today, you can't see it, my uh, A10 Warthog T-shirt in solidarity for this uh, conversation.
1: Excellent, and that that's exactly my point. I, th- I think you can call them weapons of mass destruction. I think that's fair. But she has an air force. She is the only person in Westeros with an air force but they're they are they're like A10 Warthogs, right? They're these things that can and we saw that in that battle uh where she almost killed Jamie. And and by the way Game of Thrones fans were just we're, it's going to be a spoilerific episode. So if you haven't caught up, uh you should go do that. What are you doing on Sundays?
0: <laughs> exactly. I mean the what you're saying though, it very low flying just takes out what's immediately in front of it. It's I mean, okay, it's an A 10 with a very effective
2: flamethrower, but
0: yeah, I mean, Tim, I mean, how do you see nukes sort of fitting into Mm -hmm. that?
2: Sure. So now that I know the spoiler uh, range here, I can get into good detail. Uh, So I I actually see them being nuclear weapons um, for a couple reasons one, in terms of functionality, and two, in terms of thematics and the narrative. of the show itself, which is one of the reasons I think it's, it's a very powerful analogy. Uh, in terms of functionality, I think it is something that could be deployed similar to an A ten Warthog, close combat support, and we see that in the show because that's a very visually interesting and tactically interesting thing. But I, I see it as a disruptive military asset that really is not with a peer at all in the world of Westeros, and it hasn't been for, I guess, hundreds of years in the show canon. And I think it can be deployed tactically uh, in terms of use on the battlefield uh, with troops. Kind of similar to the ideas. We thought we would use small tactical nuclear weapons, the artillery, the uh, Davy Crockett's, how you would fire at a certain area and either get some t- a tank battalion or a large unit of troops that happen to be in one area, or you s- at least seal that area off with radiation so they can't use it. Or dragons can be deployed strategically. They can destroy cities and mill castles if you, if you deploy them the right way, I, and though in the books, there's definitely stories of, of dragons melting castles, the whole castle at Harrenhal, that really depressing place that Arya hangs out for a little while. Uh, that place has stone walls that were melted like candle wax uh, because of dragons. So I think it depends on how you want to use them. And I can see the show maybe not wanting to do that for thematic reasons. But I'll, I'll take a break here before I can go so you can c- counter that with some more A-10 knowledge
1: well i am I'm, I'm gonna admit that I was torn after rereading your article and you and I had some had had some back and forth uh online then that's actually what led to the creation of this episode but watching rewatching uh, the spoils of war, which is the episode that really made me think of them as a tens they definitely used nuclear imagery there uh, and even more so in the east watch episode uh, where Tyrion is walking around that field of ash and there are those charred and and awful bodies that, that was very reminiscent of, of you know the aftermath of Hiroshima
2: and Nagasaki. Especially when that episode dropped on the anniversary. Oh, I hadn't even considered that, but you're right. I don't think that was intentional, but it's hard to not at least draw that comparison. I'm sure there's no way they could have timed the season of Game of Thrones, even though it was pushed back than it normally is. But it it's hard not to think about some of those comparisons. Although I wrote the article in 2014 seeing what I saw in the show back then, I don't, a couple seasons ago, it's, and then what I, what I saw in the book as well. I think
1: my argument here is mostly that it feels like nuclear weapons to us because that's the closest metaphor we have for such a disruptive technology. But I think an A-10 is a better analogy because an Air Force is a disruptive technology in Westeros. Because nobody else has an Air Force, an Air Force feels like weapons of mass destruction.
2: And I, I think it, this is where it's going to be really hard to to create a clear division between the two, because it is all about relative, dragon pun, scale. Um, it, it's hard to, to, to see, because there is nothing like it. Jamie Lannister, you're right, he went back to Cersei and said, hey, we should th- raise the white flag over the Red Keep. We're done here. We cannot defeat this force. And the only thing I see any sort of comparisons to that, to our to our world anyways, is that kind of – just simply, it's not just, wow, we got really defeated with – because, you know, you see Euron, the pirate in the show. He's got these f- catapults that shoot fire, something or another that catches things on fire. I think that's that's certainly a big military asset, but no one thinks, oh, well, we'll never be able to deal with that. But dragons, it just puts that focus on someone's mind that I think the only comparison is – know after we used uh the atomic bomb after the united states used the atomic bomb on hiroshima in japan i think that's the only comparison um that i can really make and and one thing i'll say about your article that i enjoyed was it it tried to do um it it did a good job of describing kind of what people's reactions to the having dragons like we have them but they still continue to fight so it's more like an air force where it takes out certain things but it Obviously, people are still fighting Daenerys. They're not giving up completely. So I, that actually made me retool my thinking here a little bit. And the thing that I've come up with there is, is twofold. One, I think there's a deterrence effect in place with dragons in this world, but it's slow to emerge. It's, it's very much like early nuclear history where people are trying to figure out how to use nuclear weapons. Are they just large bombs like we had in our conventional force or is it something radically different? And it took a lot of time for that to happen. It, information moves slowly. People may not believe what the dragons can do. And it's. I think that's similar to uh, Nagasaki when it, it took time for simply communication to tell what had happened at Hiroshima, to believe what had happened and to process that information. And, and I think you see... The bigger thing here is Daenerys is is reluctant to burn down places like King's Landing or any of the other cities because she's worried about what that would have for her future ability to rule. She doesn't want to rule over the ashes. She wants to rule over people that respect her. So I think that that results in dragons being used more like A-10s, but it's not the full capacity that they can be used. You know, it's like a -a dial-a-yield weapon that's not been turned all the way to 11. It's been turned down to maybe a 6, and that results in those smaller battlefield-like conditions. I think it's interesting. I would be curious to see what it's going to be like in the future of the show when two dragons are used later on, maybe in other areas, instead of just the one on the battlefield.
0: Well, it's actually... I hate to be the peacemaker here, but it does seem like it's a combined feature. There's the ability, I mean, it's almost like an ICBM in that it's the only way you can project power in Westeros, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You can actually get from one place to another incredibly quickly and deliver uh, firepower like in the last week's episode, where all of a sudden she's from Dragonstone all the way up to... Uh, uh, you know, north of the wall in seconds, as far as I can tell.
2: <laughs> yeah, is <laughs> it is it is it an, is it an A-10 A ten or like a Blackhawk? A black sorry, a, a like a Blackbird jet.
0: Right, I I think it is whatever you need it to be. I mean, it could be a set of MacGuffins with wings, you know.
2: Well, I think you're right. I think that it is certainly something that the showrunners, the people who make the show, they want it to be visually interesting, and I think just having lots of scenes of of The Red Keep being destroyed by fire would be interesting for a second, but then you kind of wonder what's next there. Um, So that's why uh, narratively is what matters to me quite a bit. Um, What's the purpose behind using them in this world? Why does Daenerys, at least up until last episode, why was she the only one that had them? Which really forces her to make choices about what she wants to use the dragons for, what she considers her dragonfire doctrine to be. And I, I think that kind of story is really fascinating to me. The idea that you have mutually assured destruction and you have mad kings, nuclear weapons or dragons in the hands of the people that we trust the most, we might feel comfortable with that. Similar to what we do, maybe we would feel comfortable with a pre- President Obama to have nuclear weapons, but we don't feel comfortable with President Trump having them. You know, So these are the kind of questions you have with this type of destructive force. Is it something – that we should have only in the hands of the of certain people that we like, maybe allies, uh, but not rogue states or our adversaries. I think those thematic questions are more interesting to me and I think more powerful than something analogous to an Air Force, even when these weapons get used in in like an Air Force type position. That, that kind of begs a question, does having these kinds of pop culture
1: discussions and having these kind of metaphors readily available make it easier for all of us to live in a world where weapons like this exist, even if they're
2: horror movies like The Day After and Threads? So are you saying that it would make it more comfortable for people to have the weapons? Uh,
0: Just what's the purpose of having this kind of arsenal in our fiction? The way we deal with nukes in fiction, does it just make it easier to live with them?
2: so i I, I could see two angles to that one from a if you think about it in practical terms in terms of military utility, why would we have these things and you Some would say, "Well, it allows us to have victory over over our adversaries I, and I think this, at least in terms of some aspects of that, the show and the books do a good job of showing the limitations of dragons being used as nuclear weapons and that 's what I enjoyed about your article too. Uh, when you pulled from uh, Robert Pape and "Bombing to Win," the limitations of air forces and nuclear weapons against things like insurgencies. Uh, Daenerys is fighting an insurgency in Marine for most of the show. Uh, during the backstory of Aegon's conquering, the first person that brought dragons over to this Westeros continent, he was able to destroy most of the places uh, that were fighting him that had castles and and big armies that would he meet in the field, but in Dorne. Uh, our friends to the south, uh, they weren't able to defeat them because they didn't have a target rich environment. They had very small towns. People lived in the mountains. There was lots of places to hide. So that army just didn't meet them in the field. They conducted insurgent warfare, uh, which I'm sure is drawn on from uh, George R. R. Martin's pacifist roots in Vietnam and just said, We're not going to meet you in the battlefield. And that showed the the utility of dragons not being absolute. So I think those thematic things from a strategic standpoint are interesting to me. But from the other side, I think we will see over the course of the show and this books that these weapons, even the utility that they do give you, it comes at a cost. Uh, people, innocent people get hurt. Uh, in the show, um, a small child is eaten by Drogon, who, who, she, who Daenerys considers her favorite dragon and her child. So there's this question of, for her, can I control this? Do I have a sense of responsibility for this? And I think a lot of that allows people who may not think about nukes for a living because they have regular jobs and they aren't as anxious as me, Look, apparently. But – it allows them to at least question the reality of some of those choices that we make and whether or not these things are are necessary. At least that's how I, I see some of the people discussing this uh, in Twitter. I definitely have a dragons and nuke uh, Twitter search that just pops up, and I enjoy reading it uh, anytime the the dragons are on. You study nuclear weapons for a living and their
1: consequences,
2: right? Correct. Uh, I did. I, I've been in this field for about fifteen years. Um, I did an, an, a Georgetown security studies, master's degree in in, in what's called unconventional weapons and nonproliferation. I've worked at the State Department handling uh, loose nuclear material during the nuclear security summit, worked for the Arms Control Association for a little while at the very beginning. I've been around and I've seen different angles of this, so it's part of my brain that's difficult to shut off uh, when I see any sort of pop culture.
0: Well, with what's happening right now, the confrontation with North Korea, does this put you more in mind? Do you think that more people will be watching the show with North Korea in mind? Does it make people more nervous?
2: I think it will, especially after uh, this latest episode where, um, you know, again, spoiler alert for maybe that someone hasn't caught up all the way to I think it's episode six that. Danny deploys all three of her dragons. And I always consider the dragons not to be ICBMs, but to be slow-moving, somewhat vulnerable, under the right conditions, B-52s, uh, that could drop nuclear uh, material or dragon fire wherever they needed it to be. And we see the the Night King, the big w- White Walker bad guy, take it down. And not only did he just kill one of the dragons, I think it was Viserion, he brings it back to life. So now there's loose nukes about he has one, and I think that people might draw from that what happens now that the United States, or Daenerys, no longer has a monopoly on this type of firepower. There Is, is there—is there going to be deterrence? Probably not. People might think that the Night King is just going to use it as much as he can, which might make people think that it's not U.S. versus the Soviet Union where there was that deterrence relationship there. You hurt me, I hurt you, so don't hurt me in the first place. But maybe more of like a mad— irrational actor who's just bent on destroying something and that something being you people might draw from that about north korea getting weapons not thinking that you could deter them or potentially if you think about it in terms of iran for some uh some people that are watching this so i i'm excited to see how this plays out from the tv show and also people's reaction to it
1: hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place Alright, let's move on from let's move on from Game of Thrones, because there's a lot of nuclear pop culture to cover. And that's and that's part of what you do. You've got the super critical podcast where you really dive into this stuff. And I want to know, you you do this for a living. How can you also do this as a hobby?
2: Yeah, it's a little it's a little difficult. I I think that there's there's definitely a connection there. The the origin story for this podcast, uh many years ago, just watching uh shows when I was starting to be, come into this world professionally, uh TV shows, movies where there's some sort of – either the theme is about nukes, whether it's just a plot point in a larger movie itself, and then my initial reaction of, wow, that's not right. Why would they do it that way? My co-host for the longest time was my roommate, and and we – he was always the – had to bear that uh, complaint force uh, pretty much by himself just – we would go to a movie, and that's all I would think about afterwards. Was wow, that's not really how that works. There's no self destruct button on a nuclear weapon, or that's not how the nuclear football works. You can't just order a, a, an attack when, from out of nowhere. What are what what are nuclear codes? Everyone just seems to have them. Uh, those kind of things made me want to have a conversation about this, and and then also it eventually evolved uh, for my sanity into a discussion of what what does. What was the story trying to tell about nuclear weapons? Is it just using them as a plot device? Is it a thematic? And, and what does it? How does it reflect maybe societal anxieties at the time about a particular thing relating to nuclear weapons? Whether it's the collapse of the Soviet Union and loose nuclear weapons, or is it uh, a mad actor uh, getting them who runs a country and we don't know how to handle this? Is or is it? Um, potentially the filmmakers take on all of these things. And and then how does the public learn from things? A lot of the times uh, people don't go out and get two year, uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of loans for master's degrees in this. Uh, So I think people tend to learn through movies and film for a lot of this. And I would love to at least have a context that I can place into these conversations and movies that people might see.
0: If they actually saw it as a more realistic threat, they may take out more loans, uh, because they'd be less worried about having to pay them
2: back. I, I I've thought about that for for reals. I was like, you know, if uh, if the banking system gets gets hit, uh, at least I can write those off somehow.
0: Can you tell us a little bit, just generally speaking, how nuclear pop culture has changed since the Cold War?
2: So we've done about over twenty, maybe twenty five episodes over the course of the two years that we've been doing this podcast. And I, I like the podcast because I, I consider myself at least someone who is has con- claimed to be a professional in this field, studied it, works on nuclear security in, in my day job. But my co-host, uh, Joel, and now Gabe, are just friends of mine who like movies. They don't come into it with uh, notions that this is how this works. So they just like movies or take certain things away. So I enjoy the back and forth on that to see how maybe... A movie in the 1960s may be different than a movie in the 1990s. So I, I broke movies that I look at into three categories. There's movies that are serious nuke plot movies, trying to say something about nuclear weapons. Movies like Dr. Strangelove, uh, Failsafe with um, uh, Fonda uh, back in the day. I think it was like 1964. Threads, which is a BBC TV movie, and then a U.S. TV movie called Special Bulletin. These are very serious movies. Nuclear weapons are... are if they're not scary, they're, they're serious issues. They may approach them from a comedic standpoint, or they, this may be just something to scare the heck out of you. Those are those movies that I don't see a lot anymore these days. A lot of the movies these days are these films that maybe borrow f- nuclear imagery um, or use nuclear weapons as mere plot devices. I think of things like True Lies, the nuclear bomb in that, which was uh, stolen, I think, from Russia, but then used... Uh, in a terrorist plot in Miami. Then you have Mission Impossible 4, The Peacemaker, Broken Arrow, the Independence Day movies. Nuclear weapons in those are are MacGuffins. They're things that might be scary to someone, but they're ultimately just a plot device for the hero to either use a nuclear weapon to save the day, or stop someone from using a nuclear weapon in a bad way. And sometimes they succeed, sometimes they fail, most of the times they succeed. So I've seen the evolution of film take a different approach than it used to be, where a lot of these weapons, there were these plot device movies back in the day, but a lot fewer of the more serious films are, I think, here today, which I, I think, is depress, uh, depressing to me a little bit from people's understanding of this. Some of these films could be remade today, and I think would be would be a good service to people uh, in in today's time. Which one would you remake? I think the one we've talked about remaking the the most is Special Bulletin. This is the, a film that. It's it was a TV movie, kind of like the War of the World setup, where we didn't. It was meant to be real. It was the whole thing is done uh, through the the lens of if you were at home watching on your local TV news, a terrorist hostage situation in Charleston, South Carolina. Someone uh, stole nuclear material. A scientist built a bomb. They weren't terrorists, at least from the idea of a foreign terrorist. Their motive was disarmament it will scare the United States into disarming. Uh, They were, they were U S scientists that had turned disillusioned about this. And it's just such a very powerful film and how it critiques the media. It critiques our, our relationship to violence and how we, how we consume it. And then, you know, spoiler alert for that movie, it doesn't end well in terms of the bomb not going off. And then there's this gut punch at the end about how the media just moves on to the next thing. And it's just a, Powerful imagery, powerful scenes. I think it could be remade today. The other one I think would be th- is Threads. Uh, I think my co-host and I there, who's Tim Collins, uh, who's a PhD candidate studying British nuclear history at King's College London, he suggested we remake Threads, which is a uh, another TV movie about what would happen in the middle of the United Kingdom if there was a nuclear war during the Cold War, remaking that with Korea. These days, having it from the perspective of, of a regular small town somewhere, maybe Busan in South Korea, uh, and seeing what their perspective would be if they were to start a war that they didn't necessarily start themselves, but got caught up in. I think that would be a powerful movie to remake. Or they can just make another Mission Impossible movie. That seems to be the most likely case. Are you familiar with the Fallout series? Very. Uh, as I, I can, I'm, I was calculating the number of hours that I might have played in, in a number of them. I, I haven't played... The original ones, the ones for the uh, the PC that were, I think, Fallout 1 and 2, it's hard to get my hands on those. I'm trying to find them somewhere, but I put a lot of hours into Fallout 3, New Vegas, and, and 4. And we actually just recorded an episode that I'm editing right now uh, that will be released sometime in the next couple of weeks on, on the Fallout series. Because I think it, it's terrific. I Did you end up playing them, Matt? Uh, I Yeah, I've played all of
1: them, actually. Playing those when I was a kid.
2: Okay.
0: Yeah. So I just want to intro for people who might be listening to the show who don't know the series. The basic premise is that the 1950s becomes the nuclear age that, you know, they had sort of dreamed of. I mean, so you have nuclear powered cars with fins. The timeline completely diverges. Things stay in sort of a propagandistic America where everything is upbeat, cheerful and terrific. But then there's a nuclear war. And things aren't so terrific anymore, so your main character is reborn into this world, which is just the remnants of what the 1950s might have looked like if it was nuclear power so and you're playing a character coming going through that world
1: uh, One of the things that really strikes me about that game, one of the reasons that I really love it, is that it's so tinged with nostalgia for a time that I didn't live in, and it helps me understand kind of the world my parents grew up in, hmm. if that makes sense. Uh, as, I, as I feel like these are the things that they would have lost if there had been a nuclear explosion. And you're, you're literally walking through the
2: remnants of that world. I could see that. Um, one of the things that really hit me with those games was it, it happened to oddly follow places that I've lived. So I live in Washington, D.C. right now, and Fallout 3, that's where it takes place. I grew up in California, uh, right where the first two games were there i spent a lot of time in las vegas growing up in southern california so it was interesting there and then my my now wife finished her law degree in boston so all of these things i've been everywhere where the games have been taking place so it's fascinating then to to see them uh, you know similar but not completely the same but still all rubble from a nuclear attack and to see how the people there the characters in there s- responded to that how do they survive What's what's the loss there? It's fascinating to see all the different angles there. And that's what I enjoy so much about those games is you make the story yourself. Uh, there's a main story that you can follow or choose to ignore. And I think for a lot of people, nuclear weapons are, are things that they understand somewhat. But if there were to take place a, a nuclear attack, everyone would have their own angle on how to respond to it. And those games really do a good job of of letting you decide how to how to deal with that. Um, make, for some people, it might be great for them to be a survivalist. Other people, you might go around trying to save people. So you can approach it any which way you do. I don't know what type of ways you guys play.
0: Not just one way. Tried a bunch of different scenarios, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, I really reacted to depending on which world I was in.
2: Well, one of the things that we talked about in our upcoming episode that will be released in the next couple of weeks is – because it's so much like a build-your-own story, choose-your-own-adventure story approach to storytelling, what people may take away from nuclear weapons and how their use and what their and what their purpose is, um, and whether we should have them, is so hard to judge and predetermine ahead of time because you can approach it any different way. It's not. It's like a movie where you can draw different interpretation of the ending it could be like inception was he in a dream at the end or was he not in a dream those debates are there but in films there's still apparently a a narrative message that you can say is a little more crystallized and and serve sure of itself in the fallout games there isn't it you can take what you want from it you can take this is awful uh nuclear weapons are terrible i can't believe we let this happen what can we do to stop it or Hey, you know what? It's going to be bad. It's going to happen, but life's going to go on. It will make the make better people out of us. People have different ways of taking out of that, and I think that's a an interesting, if maybe scary, approach to discussing nuclear weapons even though it's very entertaining and fun. That's a really good point.
0: I didn't I hadn't thought about it that way. I mean, I mostly was playing through to you know, you get to the end title, it reads to you And the Wanderer travels back into the wilderness. You know, I mean, it has this Mm -hmm. great prepared script. And mostly when I'm done with it, I just feel exhausted (laughs) more than anything. And also kind of depressed, I have to say, even when I've won. When you're dealing with a post-apocalyptic world, it doesn't seem to be a world that is cut and dry with good and bad and this is a game that takes a very serious approach to the idea that there is bad in every choice you can make. There is no just outright happy ending.
2: Every, every mission, the little missions you can do that aren't related to the main story, you can always finish them. You can maybe get a certain item if you finish it one way versus another. But it's really it's up to the choice that you make and you have to deal with the consequences of that. And, and you may not understand what the result will be when you make that choice much i guess much like life you guys are making me feel really bad about blowing up megaton
0: (laughs) you should you should feel bad so but i do have a question what do we think that a game like fallout is really does it say anything about nuclear weapons at all or is it just you know i mean it's just a human thing and that the apocalypse is a convenient place to put things you know it makes things more extreme
2: I think for some of this, it's sadness. It's sadness that this world, um, and it's a very detailed backstory. So when I we did the research for this Fallout episode uh, that we recorded, it, it's so much that you could maybe not necessarily see when you play the game just once or twice. If you don't read all the books, you don't check all the terminals, if you don't do all the missions, you may not get the full spectrum of the history behind it because it's really fascinating, this idea that after World War II, Transistors were never invented, so technology is just big and inefficient, and we never had small computers. Like Those things never happened, Um, so we ran out of oil. The whole nuclear war in this world started because oil ran out, and the United States didn't let China have any of its oils in Mexico uh, or in Alaska, so China invaded. We fought them off, uh, and in a a last-ditch effort, somebody fired, maybe China, maybe it was the United States— according to one story in the game, and maybe it was aliens that started it, but s- somehow it happened. And then just all the potential that we could have had was lost. And I think generally this, the theme there is sadness and, and what can we do to, to prevent that? But maybe not, I guess you can take away something different from it. I think that's the way that these stories go. It's different than another game that's deals with nuclear weapons. Uh, the Metro series, Metro 2033, which is takes place in Russia based on a series of old Russian novels where using Russian civil defense practices where they would, instead of building fallout shelters, they said we have these gigantic and very beautiful and secure railroad uh, tunnels. Why don't we just get everybody in there, seal them off, and then come out in a couple years, and we'll be fine. So the whole story takes place there. I think that game has more of a consistent message that you follow and play than fallout. So I think it's however you want to approach this particular topic. You can go either way. I want to answer that question, actually, Jason,
1: briefly, as I know we, we need to wrap up. Just, just as Tim was saying, there was, a, there was that period right after World War II where, very briefly, there was like a five or ten year period where nuclear weapons were cool in American pop culture. Uh, you had people selling tickets to watch some of the test explosions from from Las Vegas. You know, the Strategic Air Command had a bunch of movies that were that were made about them, and they were really cool. And there was this this very brief window where we weren't really afraid of them. And I feel like Fallout shows you the perils of what would have happened if that world had continued for another hundred years, and how horrible it could have been. Uh, and that's what I see when I play that game, is the society that got stuck worshipping the Atom and the consequences of that.
2: And I, to draw it back to Game of Thrones quickly, uh, I think that people that watch the show may go about the same way when they watch Arya trained to be an assassin. And you say, that's great. Go out and take out our enemies. The phrase, we don't like them. But then when she turns her attention to her sister, you think, oh, wait, maybe we shouldn't have been rooting for her to become... Potentially a psycho, a psychopath assassin who could change her face. The same thing with nuclear weapons. That we were happy to see Daenerys burn the bad guys, but then now that she has power, what what will she use with these dragons? And if she can't have children, and someone else takes over the dragons when she eventually dies of old age, what what do we do with this? And that's why I enjoy um, this story and the books because I think they tell a very strong. Um, Sometimes subtle, because given the amount of violence, but a strong anti-war message that forces people to see not just the glory of battle and the cool fantasy tropes you usually see, but um, the actual reality that it it, it hurts people, real people, some people that are innocent, many people that are innocent, and violence, uh, cycle violence, not really doing much because you just end up causing more in the future, and then the harm that it causes you as a person when you inflict pain on someone else. I think that's a powerful story, and I, I'm happy to see um, Game of Thrones as popular as it is. And hopefully, I think people will get the message at the end uh, once, this show, once this show finishes next year and the books come out sometime, maybe 2027, 20, 2028. 20, we'll see. Well, Tim Westmeyer, thank you so much for
1: coming on War College and talking Game of Thrones and nuclear pop culture with us.
2: Uh, thank you, Matt. Thank you, Jason.
1: Thank you, listeners, for joining us on what was possibly the geekiest episode of war college of all time Well we had a lot of fun it was a lot of fun to talk about fallout and game of thrones please if you like the show rate us on itunes you can find us on stitcher you can find us on android you can find us on soundcloud and wherever premium podcasts are distributed please follow us on twitter at war underscore college, and we've also got a great Facebook page brewing at facebook.com forward slash war college podcast. We'll be back next Monday.